Hello, hello. It's late for you guys. Aren't you in Singapore? I'm not. I'm not. You you didn't go to Singapore either? No, we have our our big conference next week, Mainnet 2023, New York City. 2,000 attendees. They're all in person. None of the Zoom shit that I've seen at some of these other conferences. We've got Brian Armstrong. We've got a senator. We've got a congressman. We've got... Fred Wilson, we've got Ali from uh, Andreessen, we've got um, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, the oh, highest wow. ranking presidential candidate that's ever spoken at a crypto conference, uh, and uh, Jeremy Allaire, and you know, a bunch of good folks. Brad Garlinghouse and Stu will be doing a, a victory lap and talking about their ongoing legal strategy. We got Paul Graywall doing the same thing at Coinbase in addition to Brian. So it is the best program that we've ever put together. And I didn't want to get sick or run down being in Singapore, but I do feel like I, I missed out quite a bit. So I like a great event. Yeah, I'm both sick and run down. I feel like <laughs> you made the right decision. The jet lag is atrocious, obviously. Well, you gotta, you guys gotta get those vitamin C boosters and, uh, and, and ship up to New York because uh, it's going to be uh going to be a killer showing. You know, it does bother me though, because, you know, uh, as, as you guys know, maybe some people uh, that are, are kind of newer to, to crypto don't uh, know, but you know, I I basically rebuilt CoinDesk um, around the consensus conference uh, in uh, late 2015 through 2017, and um, you know that that conference consensus obviously got up to you know the the 10,000 plus uh, range in New York, um, and you know New York has just completely fumbled the bag first with its COVID policies and uh, and now just you know, the the unrelenting hostility of the U.S. to the crypto market. So I'm hoping that New York uh, we can we can support a 10,000 person crypto conference again in the next couple of years. But you know what, 2,000 is not too shabby given where we are in the market. Yeah, right? no, it's incredible. So, I got to tell what was, you, what, what were the what were the numbers in the bull market, Ryan? Uh well, I think the biggest one in New York was 2018. Um, so that was the the year after I left, but you, you guys know conferences are, are momentum businesses. So we kind of built the brand in New York, the flagship in New York in 2016, 2017, um, went you know, like 1,500, then almost 3,000. And then I think 2018 was, um, was I want to say close to 10,000. I want to say like it was, it was about eight or 9,000 um, that made it to, uh, the, to the Hilton uh, for consensus. Um, and actually the, uh, the entire event team at Masari, um, is the team that built consensus from kind of day one. So the former consensus 1.0 team is, is now the, the main net team. And that's one of the reasons that we've got such a killer program this year. So should be exciting. Yeah, we've got, uh, so Scott, do you want to say anything before we kick off the show? How's Singapore? No, yeah, I just mean, keep it, complaining in the group nonstop. No, I have not complained at all. Besides, uh, besides my, you're dying besides every day. Man. Well, I'm, I'm tired, man. I've slept like maybe six hours in the last three nights total. I don't do too well with uh, jet lag, but I got to say it, it's incredible. You, you mentioned consensus, obviously, Ryan, you know, consensus two years ago, 10,000 people consensus this year. Maybe was you know three thousand people, and uh, we kind of joked that all the booths seem to be either lawyers or accountants, you know. Uh, and then you come over here, and last year actually I went straight from Mainnet to Singapore, uh, and this year uh, I guess it'll be the opposite. But Singapore, you come over here. Last year it was a one floor conference, absolutely incredible, absolutely insane energy. And this year it's on three floors. There's. Uh, no space anywhere. There's no bear market in Asia. 
Nobody here is on stage talking about regulation. Nobody here is talking about the United States at all. It's like living in the upside down. I mean, honestly, yeah. getting, getting into Token 2049 here is like trying to get into a Taylor Swift concert. They literally sold out so far in advance. There's people outside in lines by the hundreds trying to get tickets to get in. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's absolutely insane over here. You know, what, what, what could be when we have a changing of the guard and a new administration in the U.S. Uh, that isn't just overwhelmingly hostile and, and following Senator Warren's bidding uh, yeah. at every step. So that tide will turn. You know, that tide will 15 more months, 15. More, and, and, and by the way, I think that's probably true regardless of, of you know, party. So um, we'll see if Gavin Newsom en- enters the race. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you guys saw the clip this morning, one of uh, Biden's aides was uh, whispering into his ear how to get out of the Capitol building where he worked for 30 years. So, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd imagine that we're going to have a new administration no matter what. And uh, that's going to be a good thing for crypto in the U.S. And I think in general, can't lose the U.S. I'm going to, guys, I'm going to into the news. So we had the, the financial earlier. We've got the PPI data came out hotter than expected. Uh, came out at, um, I think, let me have a look at the numbers. So 0.7% in August, which is higher than the 4.4% estimate and the biggest monthly gain we've had since June 2022. But if you exclude food and energy, PPI rose 0.2%, which is in line with estimates. Um, so we've got some uh, numbers that are not too good for risk assets. The, the, the dollar obviously uh, did really well after this data came out. Uh, but the real news today, and uh, Ryan, got, um, you know, we're going to ask you about Fentech as well because the numbers are pretty impressive. But the real news is the SEC targeting NFTs. And we've got the action against, um, let me get my notes out, but what was it called? Like Drunk Cats or something along those lines, Stoner Cats. Mm-hmm. So Stoner Cats were launched, were promoted by Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher. I think Vitalik was either part of it somehow or invested or promoted it. And uh, Ryan, have you looked into the news? Uh, on, He's on one of the characters. Cats? He's no. one of the characters. He's like the voice of one of the stoner cats. Are you being serious? Yes, I'm being dead serious. Uh, it, it, he's basically, it's like a, it was basically a crowdsourced funding of a cartoon show. Uh, and he is kind of one of the characters. Yeah, as first, as I, I, I didn't even know you'd understand what stoner cats are, Scott. Yet again, you know what they are and you know the characters better than I. Uh, but Ryan, we'd love to get your thoughts on this. We saw the news on, on the, the SEC versus Impact Theory. They settled as well. And the settlement included, just for anyone that doesn't know, the settlement included not only a fine. So the fine against Impact Theory was relatively small. Can't remember the numbers, but let's say a two, or let's use stoner cats. Stoner cats were fined a million dollars. They've raised eight million. Um, Impact Theory raised more. I think it was an eight digits. They, they, they made million. thirty, and I think they were actually fined eight. If my memory serves me correct, I could be wrong. And obviously, had to you know, same situation here. They had to raise a fund to refund people, burn the rest of them, uh, exactly. return the money. Yeah, that's the part. So, that's the that, that's the part. Like when someone looks at the fine, the, the fine alone, it doesn't look that bad. Like oh, it doesn't sound that bad. You know, you, you raise money through a security, and NFT is considered a security. Raise eight million, pay a million, you're doing fine. Uh, but no, you have to to to. Uh, I don't know how it works, but you have to establish a fund to reimburse investors, and you have to um, burn any remaining NFTs. So pretty much the project is dead. Um, but Ryan, I would love to get your thoughts on this and what that means for the NFT industry. Um, I, I'm not sure if folks are familiar with Preston Byrne. Uh, I thought he had, uh, so he's, he's a lawyer in the space, been, been around for you know, basically 10 years. I've, I've known him you know, pretty much since day one. And uh, he's got a really good blog, PrestonBurn.com. 
um, where uh, he kind of gives some of his not legal advice, legal thoughts on, on some of the things that have come out. I think he had the best take on this. Um, and, you know, the impact theory settlement was like that definitely had a lot of attributes of like a securities offering, right? The, the facts in that particular case were, were pretty bad. This one is, I think, very different. There was clearly interest in this as a collectible, given the star power behind the project and, and Mila Kunis and, and Ashton Kutcher being involved. Um, people were clearly buying these things as you know collectibles and, and in expectation that the series would get built out. And yeah, of course, there could be some capital you know, appreciation or, or, you know, just like any other collectible or, you know, a concert ticket, right? Um, you know, the, the value of these could have gone up in value. That doesn't make them securities. You know, the, the, the SEC's logic in this particular case is absolutely no different than someone that buys a ticket to Taylor Swift's world tour and then scalps it for 5X face because uh, everybody wants to get into the, con- uh, the, the concert. It is exactly the same logic. It's absurd. And, um, and this is why, you know, I, I think as an institution, the SEC has just lost all credibility because fish rot from the head. And and Gensler is, I mean, he, he's just one of the most corrupt leaders that we've had in, um, in any, you know, U.S. government institution, particularly the financial regulators, in a, in a really long time. I mean, he, it's... Um, it's malfeasance at this point. And, and ultimately, I think, um, you know, we we're going to end up looking back and we're going to see a lot of the decisions, the, the strategies um, that he's employed at the helm of the SEC just get completely reversed uh, in the next administration. Um, and, and, you know, whether that's a Democrat or Republican, I, I don't think it matters. Usually the, the standard is, even though his term is technically through, I think, mid 2026 is a five year term. Um, usually it's standard to, um, to step down and, and kind of allow for a changing of the guard uh, once there's a new administration. I think there's actually only been one SEC chair who served um, consecutive terms in the last 30 years. Um, and that person was well-respected on both sides of the aisle, you know, not reviled by, you know, um, a high percentage, even of his own you know, party. So it, this is, this is a guy who is, um, dictating you know policy that is expressly designed to really shut off the crypto industry in the US and the reason i think they're going after things like stoner cats is to send a mafia like message to builders in the space that the higher profile you are the harder we're going to come in and come after you um, for any involvement or affiliation in the space. But, but Ryan, what does that mean for all the projects? I'm just going through the audience. You've got all these projects, NFT mm-hmm. projects, listening to to you speak now. So, should how worried should should they be? And and you know, if if they went after Stonercast, considering that they've treated it just like you you treat mm-hmm. tickets to a Taylor Swift con- uh, concert. So, other projects are all in the in the firing range. Uh, I, I think that they'll basically go top to bottom um, based on the size uh, of, of you know, total NFT sales, right? And, and total collections, right? So um, on the one hand, I think they're looking for like precedent setting cases and low hanging fruit and easy wins. And everything that they're doing right now and all these settlements are basically designed to scare people um, and act as a, a deterrent and, and kind of set fact patterns that are going to dissuade folks from launching NFT projects or, you know, crypto asset projects, you know, a- anything that's kind of touching the industry um, without registering with the SEC, which which is just a ridiculous standard. I mean, think think about 
I mean, this is an $8 million, um, uh, you know, collectible sale, uh, Stoner Cats. Could you imagine doing a, a light registration statement for this shit? Like, you know, first of all, the SEC doesn't approve anything on time, as we've seen with the um, with the, the uh, Bitcoin ETF and, and, you know, the shenanigans we've seen the last couple of years. So you know, d- does anyone really think that even if the industry met this ridiculous standard of registering everything as a security, that A, anything would work and B, anything would get approved on time? Um there's just no way, right? And that's why you've seen so much more activity out of the crypto fund space um, and things like the SAFT and, and things like kind of private placements, you know, during the build phase of a project versus, you know, what we saw with with ICOs and kind of community drops in um, in the kind of uh, early days of, of, you know, token launches. We can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And, and I think it, it kind of really depends on the project and, and you know, the use of the token and everything. But I think extending that logic into NFTs is, it's just crazy, right? Um, maybe not for every project, depending on how it was sold, right? If people say, hey, buy my NFT and it's going to represent, you know, a long-term uh, profit share in um, in XYZ project. And here's how we're going to build this project and, and this community. And so these will be worth, you know, 100x what they're worth today. Yeah, th- those are, are bad facts. And I would stay away from that type of behavior. But if you're, if you're genuinely trying to build like an NFT collectibles project and, you know, think about crypto and NFTs almost in the same way that you would Kickstarter goods, um, then uh, that should not only be legal, but it should be encouraged because it's ultimately going to be a a net positive and a huge opportunity for a new swath of creators. Um, And there's market demand on the consumer side. Yeah, and it should be it should be really clear that it's not the entire SEC that agrees with Gary Gensler, and actually quite a few of them continue to write dissent letters. Obviously, everybody knows crypto mom Hester Peirce, but yeah. also Mark Vieta. And I mean, this is what they had to say about this. These are commissioners of the SEC for everybody's yep. uh, reference. Fan crowding, a common phenomenon in the world of artists, creators, and entertainers, and similar to Star Wars collectibles sold in the 1970s rather than a security sale, my favorite quote from their uh, dissent was using the analysis of today's enforcement action, the SEC should have parachuted in to save those kids from Star Wars mania. Yep. Right. So it's not it's not like uh, it's not like everybody at the SEC or everyone in the government agrees with the assessment. But I think you're right about it going top down. I mean, isn't this effectively just the uh, Kim Kardashian moment of, of NFTs? Right. I mean, listen, Tom at Impact Theory, he's a relatively large celebrity himself, but Mm -hmm. you don't get bigger than Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher. And now Gary Gensler gets to probably go make a cute video. Yep. And as you said, send the message that uh, if we can get them, nobody can do anything. I mean, that's the entire design. And, And so I do agree with you that there are a couple of good commissioners at the SEC right now that um, that strongly disagree. Um, But you know, the, the chair sets the agenda, right? Um, and right now, when this is split along, you know, very partisan lines um, in, in terms of the SEC's behavior, you're, you're not going to really get outcomes for the, from the entire agency that are in keeping with its mission until you have a changing of the guard, right? So like I said at the top, fish rot from the head. Um, this guy is just rotten, right? Um, and that's not that's not complaining or bitching or like, oh no, they're they're so mean to us. I think I said this on a prior discussion with you guys. The SEC's mission 
is to promote capital formation, ensure the markets are fair and efficient, and protect investors. They're doing none of that with respect to the crypto markets, or I would argue, like even more generally, most often. Um, you know, instead they're pursuing uh, like these these climate change, like ESG reporting standards, uh, and they're you know cracking down on uh, disclosures for private funds, where you know the participants in those markets are are you know, pretty sophisticated investors. They're making impossible uh, standards for crypto custody, where you know funds are going to need to you know custody assets at a qualified custodian. But oh, oh by the way, we won't actually approve anyone to custody digital assets uh, out of the out of the major banks or, or regulated custodians. So it's just, you know, like Gensler's just a liar, right? I've been on this for two years. He's, he's just, there, there's no other way to say it. He's, he's, a, he's corrupt and he's a liar. It's not that he's making bad decisions. The SEC should go after scammers. They should go after bad actors. And you know what? That's, again, that's already and, against and, the and, law. And, and we don't need new laws exactly, well, to, to punish fraud. <laughs> it's, it's already against the law, but you know what? Gensler, if you want to do your job and be a hero, why don't you catch... Voyager, Celsius, Genesis, FTX, instead of hosting them in your office because they're political donors and do your fucking job instead of just going after celebrities, right? That's why people can't stand him. It's not that he's mean or that, oh, we're trying to leverage regulatory arbitrage. It's that he is corrupt. He is dishonest and he is completely captured by an anti-crypto senator who has outsized influence in this administration and Elizabeth Warren. That's, that's just reality. So, um, you know, I think people get uncomfortable talking about politics in general. And, uh, and I've certainly opened up myself to some criticism and, 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 you know, been a little bit of a lightning rod, but, but some of these, um, some of these statements that I've made the last two years are, you know, aging well, unfortunately. And I think most people generally are, are of the same opinion that, you know, if there's not a changing of the guard in this administration, move offshore, like it's over in the U.S. Yeah, I think that that's a shared sentiment. You kind of hinted at the fact that some of these NFT projects obviously could be viewed as securities based on the way that they're marketed and hyped. Uh, it's kind of a nice set, segue into Frentech. I know we've got Brian Krasenstein uh, up here as well, who was uh, involved in BitCloud, and so obviously knows quite a bit about this space. But there's a very fine line then with Frentech. I know you're yeah. bullish on it, Ryan, but well, I'm, I'm bullish on it only. That- I'm bullish on it only because I already filed my 175 page registration statement to open up a room. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's my point, right? Is like, are, are they all uh, unregistered security offerings of individuals simply because you signed up? I, I literally didn't even know when I signed up the first time that uh, people were going to be able to buy and sell and trade me. The moment that I did it, I was literally just doing it so I could check out the platform and, you know, there went the bots. Yeah, I, I signed up and then like a half hour later, you know, I, I checked back in and I had, I think, like 1.7 ETH in my account. <laughs> and I was like, what, what the hell is this? Nuts. Um, just from the trading fees, you know, but but I clicked a couple of buttons and signed up. So, you know, now now I'm a security, I guess. That's the logic of the SEC. And, and by the way, that's why they're going to continue to lose in court, because it's such it's such a ridiculous farce, um, some of the logical leaps that they're making. And you have you know folks that are trying to make themselves useful to the uh, current leader of the organization, but are, are ultimately not doing anything that would be helpful from a consumer protection standpoint, you know, a fair and efficient market standpoint or capital formation. So, you know, just can, I think... 
anyone that would look at Frentech with a straight face would look at this like, um, you know, private chat rooms and, and kind of VIP access behind a velvet rope uh, for, for different folks that are, you know, actually interested in, in participating in these conversations. Um, what I think will be interesting is, is, you know, what happens with all the bots, right? Like those are clearly um, kind of speculative market-making entities that don't really have an interest in using these keys for their, you know, design utility. Um, but I don't think that makes the entire project or, or any, you know, individual uh, kind of responsible for, um, you know, for what goes on in their room. Uh, I, I would say common sense probably applies. Like don't tweet on Twitter that your, that your room key is going to go to like 10 ETH um, and you won't be in the crosshairs uh, for, for shilling. But if you're, if you're just in there engaging with the product and people, you know, want to hear what you have to say in this private setting and feel like they have access to people they otherwise wouldn't have access to. You know, I I, I think that's going to be a pretty high threshold for. But then, but the question, Brian, the prove. question is, but with Stoner Cats, and I want to go to Brian to make those comparisons to Big Cloud. But with Stoner Cats, for example, there was no talk of of the price going up. There was no none of that none of that narrative. It was all about the utility, of the story itself. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was still considered a security. So then, if you look at, so my question is, wouldn't Frentech be considered the same if you look at it through those same lenses? Well, and the second I, question I wanted to ask earlier is, but, what happens to people that launch a project from overseas as well? Well, I think. Stoner Cats is, you know, I, I don't know all the details here. And, and you know, obviously, I, I don't know what the motivation was to settle. You know, from a 30,000 foot view, you know, my my best guess is you have two celebrities that just don't want to deal with this hassle. So they'd rather shut it down and move on instead of just, you know, get ground down and distracted by, by something that's not really worth their time and energy. Um, and in the process, the, you know, the SEC notches a quote unquote win because they've now settled and they've showed that, you know, even if you're a celebrity, you're not above the law or whatever. I, I think the reality is probably more likely that, you know, Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, the, the, the folks that were affiliated with this project were like, we want to move on from this. This is ridiculous, but, you know, we just don't want to have to deal with the bullshit. Um, and so we'll, yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll move on. Imagine them going through years of years of litigation with the sec and paying millions of dollars to lawyers and they can just settle admit no guilt and, and move on with their lives i mean this seems like and the sec knows this right? yeah this i mean i wish i wish that they the did though right hanging fruit yeah of course yeah I wish well, that they did. well I mean, that that's Brian that's strong says yeah that's why i love gwyneth paltrow uh like you know her her court battle i don't know if you guys heard about that the uh the court battle that she had with some some guy that she had a collision with uh on the ski slope in aspen and she took it all the way and she won. And she was like, just for the principle, right? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fight this in court because it's frivolous. I wish you had more people do that when it came to things like this. But I, I also understand that, you know, these folks probably just don't want to deal with the hassle. And one more question before digging deep, deeper into social tokens and Frentech or SoFi, whatever Fidgetal calls it. Um, Ryan, what, what about projects? I know a lot of projects we're, we're listening, still listening now, um, looking at the, 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 the SEC versus NFTs versus the Stoner Cats. If someone launched a project that's not based in the US, as far as I understand, as long as US investors were involved, then you're, 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 you know, the SEC could come after you. But do you think they have the capacity, the, 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 the resources to be able to go after projects that are not based in the US? I don't think that they have the resources to go after everyone. Um, I think, you know, they, they're trying to um, pick high profile cases, maybe in, in part to set precedent, but also in part to just send a deterrent signal because they know that they couldn't possibly prosecute every single one of these cases. Um, 
And if there's a precedent, so when you say set a, set a precedent, what does that mean? So does that mean if anyone invested in an NFT project, they could use that precedent to take a class action lawsuit against that project? Uh, no, I, I just mean, you know, now they're, they're kind of gradually notching these settlements um, that they can point to when they go to other projects and say, hey, we, we settled and we had an enforcement action against Impact Theory and against Donor Cats. And what you're doing you know, basically fits the same fat pattern. And so we're going to come after you next unless you cease and desist or, you know, unless you cooperate with us. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just like having that that weapon but that, that they can yield uh, and wield and, and um, uh, kind of chill Makes activity. Sense. That is most important. I, I, I honestly think it's going to be tough for them to pick every battle, especially when it comes to overseas projects. So, I mean... I think Garlinghouse has said this. Um, I've said this. You know, a ton of investors have said this. If you're if you're a crypto entrepreneur right now, at the you know kind of founding seed, even Series A stage, move offshore, right? The, yeah. you, the, US, the U.S. is not your friend until we have a changing of the guard. So that could be 15 months. That could be five years. Um, and you know, obviously, there's a lot of us that are fighting for it to be close to 15 months, if not sooner. But um, until that changing of the guard happens, it doesn't make any sense at all as an entrepreneur to start a company in the U.S. focused on crypto if you're going to have an asset. Yeah, I used to, I used to disagree with that statement a few months ago, but now it's almost impossible to do so. You, you uh, can't disagree. I wanna, yeah, I, I can't disagree now after what we saw in, in, with uh, Impact Theory, with Stoner Cats, with, uh, with all the other projects. Because I thought the courts are doing the right thing, but it seems like uh, some projects just don't want to fight the SEC. Um, right, so, these don't uh, go to court. This is the this is the amazing low hanging fruit for the SEC. To Ryan's point, right? They 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 get the fine paid. They get to claim that they won, even though somebody doesn't admit guilt, and it, it basically shuts down everything that's similar indefinitely. It's the it's such a it's such a mafia tactic, as he said. It's it's incredible, but but it really is effective. You don't see the. Uh, Floyd Mayweather's and DJ Collins uh, of the world and Paul Pierce's anymore like uh, doing Ethereum Max because Kim Kardashian and all them got in trouble. You just don't see any more celebrities now engaging in this space. They do that one thing. She never admits guilt. She pays her fine. Gary gets to make his video. No more celebrities shilling crypto. For better or for worse. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it's not the right way to go about it. Yep. Yeah. Let, let, let me let me go into Frantech a bit further. Uh, Brian, so if anyone doesn't know, me and Brian were on a platform before Frantech called uh, BitCloud. And we both, I'm guessing, Brian, you lost a lot of money as well. But at least I did, you know, invested very heavily, believed in the concept, but it was uh, too early. Some things just didn't go too well. Um, and along with crypto, just dropped by 99, whatever percent. Project's still going. It's called DSO now. Um, but, you know, I've been in this space. I've been bullish on, on social tokens for a long time. Um, so, Brian, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on how Frantech compares to BitCloud. I've seen some of the same flaws, like the, the bonding bonding curve for being one example, the bots being another. Um, but they do something, you know, BitCloud was trying to be a Web3 Twitter, a Web3 Twitter with tokens. Frantech is like, hey, we're not a social media platform. We're just a way to be able to, to get access to people, get keys in people and be able to get access to their membership only content. Would love to get your thoughts on the concept, and and I think you're active on there already as well. Yeah, like I, I like the idea. I see similarities uh, between BitCloud. I see some of the flaws that uh, BitCloud had, but I also see it's a whole separate entity. Uh, and I, I do think there's some concerns, especially with the SEC stuff, and I'll get into that here in a minute. But uh, o overall, I think social tokens. There's definitely a future. I think that 
that Frentech is following the footsteps of DSO or BitCloud in the way that they're obviously they're it's instead of a coin, you're basically buying keys. Uh, there definitely need to be more to it. Hopefully, if they want to succeed, there need to be integrations with with other projects. I think that that would be huge for Frentech. Uh, if you start seeing like like NFT marketplaces integrating uh, Frentech keys into them, so you, that you can buy access to the NFT. Uh, artists and it doesn't have to be nfts i see fidgetal giving me a thumbs down right there uh, <laughs> i'm sorry for your balding fidgetal that's that's a shame uh but uh it's I, just I, a really basic take it's a basic take on, on on the psychology and the solution solving that the the product is attaching to yes yeah, so, so so like i think there's some issues so with all the sec stuff going on uh the issue the biggest issue i see them having is that if you purchase a key, you get access. If you purchase two keys, you get the same access. If you purchase 10 keys, you have the same access. So what are you actually buying uh, if you purchase more than one key? They need that, to figure that's, that out. That's easy, but that's easier to fix, isn't it? Like you just yeah, offer different it, it levels is. of accesses. Here, that, yeah. And, and I, like, I like how, how uh, you, what you said earlier, like a bit like the tokens, these guys do keys. Just two weeks ago, they were called shares. I think just more semantics. I don't know if the SEC will see that any different. You know, a token, a key, a share, will see as the same thing. But like, if you if you think the, they add different levels of accesses, there's still that expectation of profit. There's still people like, in my group, when I go in my chat, everyone talking about hey can you pump our bags like i wish i could just remove those people when are you going to pump our bags it, 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 it's i think that you know that mentality won't change and i think the some of the aspects of the platform again the bonding curve being one of them just makes it very money oriented and i remember scott called it a just a i think it was you scott called it just a massive pump and dump scheme when you first saw it and in some ways um it's accurate just even because you make even get a get get fees on the dump as well uh, Brian, yeah, that was, that it, was Rand, it was Rand that was saying that, but I, but I was exceptionally skeptical of it. I still am, but now it's this interesting thing where you're on there and there is some expectation. There are very nice people. I'm actually in Singapore and was approached by one of my key holders uh, today. Like we took a picture, I hung out, talked to this guy for 15 minutes, and th that only happened because uh, you know of FredTech. So I think it is a really interesting conceptually, but. But yeah, I, I, if we're being intellectually honest here, 99% of the people on there, just like in the rest of crypto, are just trying to make money. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. And, and I think you have to be very careful. I, I think that the issue that I see is that if you buy your own key and then you sell your own key, it's going to lead people to sell off your own key. And then you can buy your own key and then people get back into you. So it's, it's like, since you're making money on the sales and the buys, you have incentive and, and you don't have incentive if you're a moral person that doesn't want to screw people over. But if you aren't, you have an incentive to basically pump up your own key uh, before you buy it, then sell it. And then as people see you sell it, they're going to sell it. You're making money all the way down, all the way up, and you can just keep doing the same thing. Of course, people will catch on eventually, but it, I think it's a little bit flawed in that respect. Fiji, I think Fiji dropped off. And Ryan, on that particular floor, just I'll get Fiji back up. He just dropped. On that particular floor, I want to get your thoughts on it because uh, you know that was probably my biggest concern when I saw Frantech. Is like th the incentives are just so misaligned to the buying and selling, but it seems to be doing well. I thought I, I didn't think it will uh, it will get traction again. Yeah, I, I mean it. It it has 
kind of so it, it died out for like a week or two uh and i thought oh this is going to be like a one month wonder but it, it it has picked back up back up i know i've been using it just to communicate with people uh it, it's it's rudimentary it, it's kind of i i i think it's kind of like subscriptions on x if you subscribe to someone you get access to them i feel but instead of paying a monthly fee of five dollars or whatever you pay a one-time fee uh, you can sell your access and maybe make money, maybe lose money, but it, it's kind of a similar concept. Uh, just it, it's different in that those who are uh, more well known uh, are going to have a higher price, and it's going to be harder to get access to those who are more well known. Yeah, but, and, uh, yeah. yeah and, and Ryan Selkis, I was that question as well. I want to ask you the same thing: the, the misalignment of incentives. Like, so like, if you really just care about people getting access, then why, when someone cancels a subscription to me on X. I don't get make any money off that. Yeah, if someone sells my uh, key in in Frantic, I make money and I'm happy with that. Um, I I don't know that I necessarily agree that it's a misalignment of incentives. I think the the thing that's interesting about uh, Frantic and and the economics is the bonding curve essentially reflects Dunbar's number, right? So Dunbar's number, you know, you can only hold like 150 you know relationships at, at any given time, you know, give or take. Um, and that's kind of like what has led to tribes and, you know, uh, many communities, right? That, that, that tends to be a number that like we're, we've evolved to be able to handle like that many relationships at any given time. And so, you know, it gets very expensive to be part of a community above that threshold, right? Um, you know, you're starting to talk about, you know, I, I forget where, um, racer and Levi are right now, but it's like $10,000 to be part of their room. And they only have a couple hundred folks in there. So, you know, it, at, at some point, you know, the, uh, it, it just, I don't know what the number is, but there is a number above which most people won't go, but let's, let's take the other example of, you know, you get, um, a, like a, a true A-list celebrity in there, right? So Ashton Kutcher joins like, there will be folks that are early to his room that hold and, you know, much like you would potentially give up a ticket to your favorite band. If, if the, uh, if the ticket ended up going for, you know, 10 times face and you needed the money, you know, selling that key is not necessarily an indication that the, you know, that, that the quote unquote unsubscription to use, you know, your logic is, um, is, is because, you know, the room was garbage or, or you know, anything like that. It could just be someone was willing to pay for that same slot of access, um, you know, at, at a higher rate than, than you were willing to hold that access. Um, and so I think, uh, if you think about it, just app, it's, it's kind of apples to oranges. If you compare subscriptions to, to room access, because there's a natural limit to how many folks can can get into a given room based on the bonding curve. Um, so that, that's point number one. Point number two, I think we'll start to see a lot of forks of Frentech and a lot of experiments around the bonding curves um, and the way that tokens are distributed, right? Like I'd love to see a Frentech um, fork or, or, you know, kind of version that... Uh, somehow avoids bots, right? Like, so, so maybe if you're an existing, um, friend tech, you know, uh, contributor or, or, you know, you have one of the largest rooms, um, on friend tech, could you create like, you know, derivative, um, rooms where you have a little bit more control over the keys, 
um, that get distributed. So it's not just getting bit up by bots from, from, you know, day one. And, and ultimately you can have, you know, a hundred of your true fans or, you know, whatever you want to call it, you can kind of airdrop to them. I think we'll start to see a bunch of kind of forks and kind of derivatives um, for this project, because, you know, remember it's, it's a month old. And what I think that they've done well is create this scarcity or this kind of um, kind of natural limit to the room size um, in much the same way that I'm sure, you know, many of you are in telegram rooms where, where people try to keep it to like 200 in the chat. Um, and that's kind of manually curated versus financially curated, but this is the same logic. And I think it's really the same project. The, the, the first time we've seen a project do this successfully, which is what I think has captured a lot of people's imagination. Yeah. And, and talking about telegram, I just want to touch on the piece of news we'll talk about later, but there's a pretty major announcement about telegram working with ton network um, and expanding it to all 800 million users, adding it in the settings uh, in the settings of Telegram. So we'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, but Fiji, I know you've been waiting for a while, man, and, and I know you're you're me and Fiji. By the way, we we gotta start. So I'm pretty critical of Fantech, um, and I've I've talked about some of my criticism earlier, but I'm pretty bullish as well. Like I'm I'm started to be active again when I saw Scott post his foot picks. I'm like, all right, Scott is starting to be active. I'm you guys made me. You guys made me post the foot picks. By the way, that was a prompted. It was yo. It was it, it was. Necessarily showing foot picks, and I have your your feet. your keys like tripled in value. So I think a lot Literally, of people are interested in seeing your uh, your your feet. Which did not make me more bullish on a friend tech when people. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. But then, but then, so me and Fiji will be doing a space on friend tech once or twice a week. And that's how active we're going to be, and and Fiji's going to be helping me. Now we're going to have a team that's helping me build out the whole concept of social tokens. Now I, I'm um, I'm not sure about Fantech whether it will succeed or not. If it will succeed, we'll be extremely active. If not, it is what it is. But on the concept of social tokens, probably the thing something that excites me the most. Yeah, yeah exactly. Whether it's BitCloud, Fantech, we're invested in another one called. Fuck, we have a big investment in another one. I'll, I'll come up with a name built on the. What's that other one, Brian? Do you remember the other? Uh, yeah, the one, so, so, so you're invested in. in- favor but it's built on lens protocol yeah yeah so what a good investor you are mario (laughs) no no well i hold on i i recommended just to the right i recommended they speak to brian and i recommend brian to them so so i get credit for that one but yeah favor p-h-a-v-e-r i think built on lens protocol that's another protocol just doing the same thing as diesel um but fiji i want to get your and again it's a bit different to frantech frantech is not a social uh, media a decentralized social media platform they have just a feature of what bitcloud and lens have or, or fa- favor half, uh, and that's the the ability to buy tokens to someone if you believe in someone. So general concept on BitCloud, the way it works is that if you believed someone's going to be successful, you bought their token. So uh, for example, when Jake Paul had a fight, people thought he's going to win. They bought his token. They started betting on the platform if Jake Paul was going to win his first celebrity fight or not. And then after the fight, it just dumped. Why? Because the story is done. Um, it's already over. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, when someone has some bad press come out about them, the token would drop. When they recover, the token would go up. When they announce something major. So it's uh, pretty fascinating. Plus, there was the level of access. So people did groups. You know, I'm doing like kind of a, a Telegram. Oh, sorry, a WhatsApp group for the top key holders, doing a smaller one for all key holders, jumping on calls with top key holders, bringing them on stage. So coming up with all different utilities. What you just described is just a microcosm of crypto and of, I guess, trading and, and assets in general, right? And and that's just, I think, the way that this cycle, particularly right now, is reflected very heavily. Every single little narrative we have, outside of maybe Frentech, lasts a week, a bunch of things go up, they all go right back down. 
to where they started. So that's not unique to, to BitCloud. That's just the way that people trade around these narratives. It's human nature, and it's something we see across all of crypto. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Enough of the, of the terrible takes. Um, you guys are literally – I'm sorry, guys. Um, Normie and crypto takes on this is, is not going to be a solid analysis of what's occurring at the moment. So I understand that you guys were, were deep into BitCloud, and you I guys – I was not. I was not. Okay, Mario. False. But you – Fake news. People were. Um, but you're not taking into account, um, which is probably why you'll just bid whoever is gonna build is gonna build gambling on top of what they what they see as gambling. Um, there's a completely different narrative occurring at the moment. Um and I, I take slight offense to uh treating this in in the linear manner of crypto that you guys are, are treating it. Um, never before was there an NFT bull. Never before was there a, a large investment of time and energy into IP, which would be NFTs, as well as a, a massive bear connected to NFTs with people stuck with IP or identity that they've been investing into social media simultaneously. So anytime before that you were spending a lot of time on social media, you weren't inherently putting the time and energy into a picture that had its own floor price value proposition, community narratives, and entire industry around it. With that premise being built, there is a, a, a huge gap in the NFT market of understanding, and you're seeing it mirrored right now in social media, um, and it's not coincidental. So for the first time, a, a billionaire owner of a, a platform is spending an exorbitant amount of time figuring out how to quantify, gamify, and reward social actions on, a, on his platform. That would be Elon, and that would be subscriptions, tipping, uh, and, and everything else that's going on. Eventually, social it, action or just monetization? Just trying to monetize the platform, whether it's through social actions, actions or other means? Uh, oh, my God, no. Tokenization, by definition, is the use of tokens to achieve a specific outcome with incentives. Just because it's money doesn't mean it's not a token. It's the same thing. We just call it money, and you're so used to calling it money. Yeah, but, the, but so the, the, there's two there's two outcomes you're looking at. So there's one outcome is like creating different forms of utility, and the other outcome is the end outcome of purely making money. No, Mario, he's paying you money, so you do specific I'm referring, things. I'm, refer I'm I'm moving to fintech again. I'm gonna. I, they're not separate. Is the point? When 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 BitCloud came out, it was separate. It was a gambling platform. Now with Elon paying you. He's not just paying you for no reason. He's paying you to elicit the specific conduct and outcomes on the platform. He is not trying to pay your food. He's trying to get you to do specific things and act in certain ways to curate certain content on the platform. Simil similarly goes with what uh, um, FriendTech is. FriendTech is another layer of tokenization, actions, incentives, access, uh, one could say that buying tokens on on or keys on Frentech is equivalent to tipping. So, so I know a lot of people who buy tokens. And do you tip more than once on on uh, no, how, on Twitter? Yeah, how, how do you call it? And I see Ryan on mute, so I'll, I'll get his thoughts on what you said. But how do you compare it to tipping? When I give you fifty dollars, that fifty dollars is gone. I don't later get more than fifty dollars if you do really well. How's that? How, how, I don't know how you can even get the, the audacity to compare it to tipping. It just makes zero sense, bro. What if I want to buy ten? What if I want to buy ten keys to give you money because I like you? Yeah, just what about you send me money if you like me? 
then then why tip in the first place? Why not just ask for your email and send you money? Right. There's bunch of what I'm trying to get at is this is a layer that will integrate into not just social media or Twitter. It also attaches to NFTs and it attaches to the social identity that we've been investing into NFTs that founders and floor price can't give us. And what you'll see in terms of forks is most likely more gamification. So more experiential connections between the actions you take on social media. So you you briefly said, oh, well, I can say if you have five keys, you get to come on stage. What this is, 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 is a, an added layer of incentivization on top of Twitter that Elon can't and won't give, but that tools like this can create uh, extensive yeah, gamification. Conceptually, conceptually, it makes sense. I just think that the way, and Ryan, I'd like to get your thoughts. Conceptually, it makes sense, but just the way it's been applied doesn't really show that it's aimed at it's that. Been, it's been a month. Yeah, but you get the intentions. You get the intentions when someone creates something. If you create, if their intentions was purely this, why would they include fees when someone sells your your your, your key? For example, why would you want? What why you, would you need the bonding yield curve? Makes sense because you know you get adoption that way. Um, bot prevention is obviously everyone wants bot prevention, but the 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 the, the selling the, the keys and making a, a fee on someone selling your keys makes no sense. I'm no longer incentivized to just get tips or get people to buy. I'm incentivized to get people to buy it and then for some reason sell it and then buy it again. You're you're taking out the social media aspect. It's added gamification to the experience on this platform. And if you speak to the founders more, and if you speak to the people who are building on it more, because I'm going to guess that none of you guys are building on it yet. Is that correct? Is anybody here building on it? That's that's no, what I thought. So 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 you're not understand you're not understanding the deeper uh, incentivization structures, gamification opportunities, and connection between the human. You are leaving the human out of the process, and that's why the conversation is completely skewed. I Ryan? so I just unmuted myself because I don't actually know what position I'm getting attacked for. I, I, yeah, I don't even know. What I, don't, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know. Can you be specific so that I can bat it back? I have no idea what he's talking about. No, no. I, 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 George, I struggled to understand what he's saying. I have anything that you disagreed with. Um, maybe I, I missed something. It, but like, it wouldn't what, be, what it be disagreeing. With? Yeah. It's okay. What I'm trying to get at is um, much like, so crypto, I'm trying, to just, I'm trying to separate between crypto and NFTs. Crypto didn't have identity or the human behind it. Which, which means that it didn't capture, in terms of a value proposition, the actions that people are taking on Twitter. Doge would be close. There's, there's Doge fanatics, Bitcoin fanatics, but they don't really have an identity. Doge somewhat. But NFTs created a connection between your money and your identity, and then brought in, by definition, the value proposition of the time and energy you're putting in on social media. That's, that's where I think what social finance and social tokens really means now, post the NFT uh, run, meaning founders failed for the most part, but they left their holders with these pictures. More importantly, a value proposition to those pictures so and maybe, a bunch of time. Uh, maybe I'm struggling. Scott, maybe you can explain to me what Fiji's saying because uh, I'm, I'm a bit, str I'm struggling to understand trying to I'm, connect the dots. I'm not, I'm not uh, struggling to understand I'm it. I think I'm, I, I, I'm a dumbass. I have no idea what he just said. I'm not struggling. Oh, Ryan, to, I'm not struggling to understand it. I, I understand and agree with everything. By definition, a fungible token is not going to have identity associated with it because it's fungible and you know infinitely divisible. But I, I my question was, I don't understand. Uh, no, I don't think I don't, I don't think he disagrees with that. I don't understand why you're angry because you haven't said anything I've disagreed with. Well, he, he came in. He came in <laughs> saying that he couldn't take the bad takes anymore. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Now this is Fiji. Now this is how Fiji introduces himself in every space, Ryan. It's it's part of the. 
um, part of the strategy to to uh, I have a drunk uncle who used to punch everyone when he walked into a room. Yeah, so he <laughs> says, guys, you all got, you're all wrong, and let me explain to you in a way you don't understand why you're wrong. Um, and and generally works well because everyone's like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about, but then no one understands what he just said. Yeah. Um, but but on the point, she R- said, I understand. R.I.P. R.I.P. NFTs, oh, by the way. Shit. Oh shit. All right. Yeah. So so I, I do want to go to board and NFT freaks as well. Um, uh, board, uh, good to have you, man. I remember you seeing your icon pop up during the FTX days. It's been a long time. Yeah, I, I also appreciate Vigital playing the heel in this wrestling match. Well done, sir. Um, <laughs> I I think. For, for me, I'll, I'll just speak on the creator's behalf. Um, I think the model for Frentech and, and things like it fails just because the incentive for creators is broken. And for any kind of social network, you need to incentivize that small percentage of people who are going to pump out content and be essentially the product. So Ryan's point about the Dunbar number is, is, is really well put. Um, if you're a creator, you can manage 100, 200, 300 relationships. The problem with that is it does not scale for you as a business. So if you're a creator, you want to maximize your opportunities to make money. You can do that through commerce, selling things. You can do that through ads, right? Like get a lot of impressions. You get a lot of advertising money. You can get it through, through subscriptions like Twitter subscriptions. Those numbers can all go up and up and up indefinitely. But with friend tech, you can't, right? You have to set a limit to how many relationships that you can have. And when you're monetizing that way, not only are you limited in terms of the number you can handle, but you're limited in terms of the percentage of the of the money that is actually being transacted, right? You're getting a royalty, you're getting a percentage of trades. So why would I spend my time trying to pump that number and encourage people to buy and sell and trade that when I can put all of my effort into growing the other forms of monetization that have essentially infinite upside. And so like, if I don't have any incentive then um, to, to put my time into something like friend tech, I'm going to leave. And once I leave and other people like me leave, then it's just, you know, a bunch of users and buyers who are just, then it's, just la- then it's just la- lazy lines. And- it's literally an NFT. Alliterative exactly. NFT. And, and I have to say that NFTs do already solve the problem because NFTs are, for whether we like it or not, NFTs are linked to people. The founders and what they do um, is incredibly important in terms of the, of the price of, of NFTs. So I, 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 I love people experimenting. I like people trying new things. We have seen friend tech before. It has failed because anything like this, anything in the world of identity and social that does not scale and has artificial caps in terms of its network effect will die. And I want to be proven wrong, but literally for 10 years, I've watched people try to do this and fail at it. Hey, Mario, we have a bit of breaking-ish news, actually quite big. Uh, 1.34, it says trillion euro. Asset manager Deutsche Bank to offer Bitcoin and crypto custody services. This just came out in in the last hour, which is yet another massive move, I think, for institutions and institutional who are adoption. The, who, are, who are the, who are the big, biggest custodial services right now? I mean, Ryan might be able to answer that. I mean, BNY Mellon, I know, in theory, I think is is able. Ryan, is that correct? And I know State Street have been talking about it sort of towards the end of the last cycle as well. But I think theoretically they can't. I think uh, there's been some expressed interest here. I think uh, I'm not actually up to speed on um, who is doing what domestically versus internationally um, because of all the limitations the SEC uh, and, and the financial regulators have had on custody rules. If banks, for instance, the accounting has been so unfavorable that the reserves required to actually get into the digital asset custody business is, is just prohibitively expensive. But internationally, it's a different story, and I'm, I have not 
gotten a, a recent update there. Yeah, I'm just yeah. reading about it now. Um, so would they become the biggest uh, the biggest custodial service in crypto or not, uh, Scott? Uh, I can't, like Ryan sort of said, I, I can't speak to that exactly what others are doing. I mean, I think that uh, BNY Mellon is probably a larger custodian. I know State Street certainly is, but still, I mean, just massive. Yeah, I want to go to uh, NFT Freaks. I know we spoke, uh, the question I have to you is linking back to the original story of the SEC and uh, the Stoner Cats. I, I'm guessing, um, we don't know each other, but I'm guessing you've got uh, an NFT collection. Um, actually, I do, but I actually represent a much broader reach. And so when I see SEC kills NFTs or I hear friend tech, uh, first of all, I want to just get everybody to notice there are a lot of NFT users and artists in this chat right now listening to us speak. And um, and I appreciate Mario having me on, but I, I, I do kind of want to touch base and I kind of want to make sure that the clarity of the message for what's being sent by this SEC and other groups and other mainstream media outlets has little to do with what's actually happening underneath the surface, right? First of all, NFTs in, in my understanding, are first have been brought to my attention by artists, people who hold artistry, crafts, passions. They're able to create things. They're able to mint them on the blockchain, and they're able to sell them to collectors, not investors, not guarantors, not triers, not doers, specifically set collectors. This, yeah, I don't think, but I don't think, uh, freaks. I don't think that uh, we're talking about the. Uh, actually, we've never, we haven't spoken about NFT art and whether that's considered a security. We've only spoken about NFT right. collections, the PFPs. Right. right. So I'm actually curious, like on the on the art side, is there is there issues on that end as well, like them being considered a security? No, no. I guess what I was leading my story into saying is that these PFP projects and even like Stoner Cats or Bored Apes or other projects are taking a model that's starting off at the very bottom and then they're cutting through with these teams and these dollars and raising huge massive amounts of rounds and then mainstream the mainstream believes that stoner cats and all of these people are the representation of of what's actually happening so my point of touching into this was saying that when when you when you raise this capital or when you sell these tokens or when you sell your creation and you're not structuring it correctly. You're not inviting the one-of-one one artist to create a collectible that would matter by fractionalizing their value from the top down so that when people are yeah. buying into the project, they're actually buying into the art first, plus the reputation of the artist. I mean, these teams have blown that whole part of this whole creation model that artists are showing us and introducing to us. And that's what I do. I'm at the ground level breaking floor of layer one of people finding ways to independently fund their value. Web three and NFT should be an understanding. It's an understanding of saying, this is how this works. It's, it's, it's what, what, what is understood doesn't have to be discussed. But I guess I guess what I, what is uh, sorry, you, you yeah so so yeah you lost me yeah 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 you, you and Fidel should connect no 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 sorry yeah because what you understand you don't oh good oh good oh good bro oh good but, but, at least I came in like an asshole so uh, you don't I deserve what Fiji, what you don't understand you don't discuss Fiji. it's very very important I do want to go to to just if you don't mind freaks I want to go to lawyer briefly lawyer on the get your thoughts and I think this is in my opinion this is 
more major than people are making it out to be the stoner cats ruling. And, and Ryan kind of touched on it, saying that the utility behind stoner cats and narrative was very different to impact theory. Impact theory, they said some things they shouldn't have said and, and explaining in my, uh, from memory. I don't know if you remember, Scott, but they were talking about how the value will go up and what will lead to growing the value. They were comparing themselves to Disney, getting into Disney in the early days. Stoner cats very different. It's got, you know, having Vitalik as a backer or investor, whatever you want to call him, uh, openly, I think it was promoting Stoner Cats or talking positively about Stoner Cats. Um, it, it's, it's a significantly more credible project. And, um, I, you know, I was surprised to see a project like Stoner Cats get considered, be considered. The SEC missed uh, bad. The SEC missed bad. Uh, yeah. But, but, that, but, for but, me, that's a lot bigger than Impact Theory. I, I, oh, I, I 100% agree with that because, yet again, this is that big celebrity moment. And, yeah, I know that people don't want to see SEC kills NFTs, but nobody in their right mind is launching a PFE project, a 10,000 collection right now in the United States, period. Which is not going to happen. Yeah, but then, then but the the, my question... are now scared. But You're right. Nakamigo's just launched a, a 20,000 one. Wow, cool. Where, where is Nakamigo based? Nobody knows. Okay, well, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> Lawyer, I want to go, go to you. And, and the question is, if you're the uh, same question I asked Ryan, I'll ask it again as well. Um, first, get your general thoughts on this um, and probably you know, get final few quick thoughts from the, the panel. And then what it means for projects that did launch that are not based in the US. So should they worry? If you want to talk directly, not to me, but to the projects listening to you right now, Lawyer, what would be your advice to them if you're based in the US, if you're not based in the US and you've launched a PFP project? Lawyered? Cool. Great advice, Lawyered. Like, they're freaking out right now, man. He's only going to speak if, you, uh, if he can bill, bill the hours. Uh, so we'll go to Fiji on that one. We've got I another think, lawyer uh, here. Fiji, go ahead. What's your advice to them? I, 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 th I think that library would be a good example, and Stoner Cat would be another good example. Um, uh, I actually really loved Ryan's. I'm trying to answer your question. The reason why I cited library is because they were fined much more than they ended up paying. And Stoner Cat was fined 1 million when they raised 8 million. What I'm saying is that even if you get fined, it's less than, dramatically less than what you've already sucked out of the ecosystem. And it's actually correlated to how much money you still have in the bank. Library it's, it's, only it's, had to sorry. pay. So just sorry, I sorry to interrupt you so many times. No, two reasons I'm interrupting you. I want to continue <laughs> speaking. First, they were fined that amount, but they had to actually refund everything they've raised. Both Impact Theory and Stonercast had to refund everything. So the fine is oh. on top of the having no money. So it's important to note that. And I'd like to continue. They had to refund what they had left. They didn't make them refund the entire money from my understanding. They had to refund what they had left into a fund to distribute to the holders. So what I'm saying is it doesn't seem to be, it seems to be if the, if the actions were altruistic by the SEC, yes, you would be correct. They would be saying you have to pay everything and we'll figure out what you have to pay above and beyond what you still have in your treasury. The SEC is not actually protecting consumers. The SEC is not actually truly punishing projects. They're creating a trail of jurisprudence. So the first project that you impact was we're gonna we're gonna judge you and and punish you based on your overt actions, right? So if everybody believes, and I do, that at the end of the day, and the, the courts have indicated, and uh, other jurisdictions have come to the same conclusion that. The, the tokens and the, the Ripple ruling also kind of leaned on this. Uh, the, the token itself is not a security at the end of the day, most likely. It's how you marketed it and how you distributed it uh, and actions taken to create the, the 
understanding of the setting in which you did it to determine if you launched an illegal security. So what the SEC is doing here with NFTs is pushing even is basically pushing back on that theory. So the first impact was, look how you sold it. Look how you sold it. By the way, we're not going to fine you how much money you actually stole. Just whatever you have left, give it away. And look, we're creating a fund. We're protecting the, the consumers. Stoner Cats was they're not even talking about how you necessarily sold it. Why? Because they don't have to, because they know that they will settle, which is why you had two dissents, which are very strong, talking about the fact that they didn't uh, market it heavily and sell it accordingly. But because they can force NFT projects to settle, because they don't, they not only uh, is it questionable in terms of uh, industry, but they don't have the money to fight it like Ripple does. So they will create a trail of settlements that create the jurisprudence of the case law that they want, quote unquote, to then go after or scare whoever they want. The good thing turns out to be, they don't really care about the consumers. Why would they force Stoner Cat to burn all their NFTs? How does that help the consumers that they're trying to protect? Fair point. Does that make uh, sense? It does, it does. That's a good answer. And, and last, very briefly, because I want to wrap it up with the, with the big question that we have for Ryan. So Ryan, we wanted to discuss your uh, thesis, your six or 12 month thesis, the thread, but we'll do that in another space. Um, my last question first, I'll ask a quick question to Fiji on the NFT story, and then we'll go to Ryan for the final uh, question of the day. Uh, Fiji, question to you is um, um, project space outside the US. That was your original question. Um, I, I, so Ryan, this is not a dig. I apologize. Um, the, the notion that the, the legal recommendation to leave the country is a new thing or something that is for the next 15 months, conversations I've been having for the last seven years and the actions of projects, crypto or NFT, have always been, maybe you should either not incorporate at all or you should incorporate outside of the country or best but does leave that mean, the country. But does that mean if you're outside the US and you still have US investors, is that enough though? Uh, what you're actually talking about is a phenomenon that nobody really talks about, which is inside the legal field, they've been laughing about getting default judgments against wallet addresses for years now. So there's a difference between actual enforcement or what the SEC will do. Will they sue you if you're outside of the state? Yes, they've tried to sue projects based on the 42.4% nodes in the US. They will use anything to, to claim uh, uh, jurisdiction and to sue you because it's not about the projects. That's what I'm trying to say. It's about optics. So they'll sue Binance, even though they can't get CZ. They, maybe they catch them. They're not going to catch them. The point is, it's not about protecting consumers. It's not about actually punishing bad actors. It's about optics to the industry. Um, Ryan, I'd love you to respond to Fiji. And can I add one question to it as well? Uh, and that's a question I wanted to ask you since uh, we wanted to do that thesis uh, space a while ago. Um, you talked about this being the worst bear market since 2015. Um, are we close to the end or do you expect a lot more pain? Um, and when the bear market ends, is, is we're going to see another massive bull market with all the ETFs bringing all that liquidity back? Well, there's there's like four different things in there. So, so the first one is, um, you know, I don't know that I disagree with anything that uh, again, I was just yelled at for, uh, so it's, it's uh, once again, I'm, I'm having fun. Um, my point on, uh, not starting crypto projects in the U S the next year and a half is, is mostly just, um, a reflection that the, the enforcement and the hostility is indiscriminate, right? Um, I think it's very easy to say, oh, well, we've been saying that people shouldn't be in the U S for, for eight years because Bitcoin is not for 
people are used to the dollar that have access to financial services. Like we've, we've heard some version of that uh, criticism for, for a long time. Um, but I do think that the, the switch flipped in the last year post FTX from um, unfriendliness to unrelenting hostility towards entrepreneurs. So yeah, I, I don't think now or the next 15 months is a good time to launch a project if you plan to have a token element. So that's number one. Um, number two is um, I do think that sentiment um, is probably the worst uh, that I've seen and felt in some respects um, since 2015 um, in the U.S. I think, you know, you, you guys are over in Singapore right now. You see the delta between Asia and the U.S. And that kind of hints at, I think, the, the uh, ultimate answer for how we get out of this. And that is getting some clear public policy around uh, how crypto should be regulated, you know, what rules of the road there are going to be for, you know, major projects, you know, major infrastructure companies, how these things can safely come to market and legally come to market so that we're not just stifling all the, the creativity and, uh, and, and, and innovation and essentially forcing it offshore, which has been the status quo for, for last year, especially. Um, I, I don't think that any degree of infrastructure build, I don't think any degree of like the markets coming back um, is going to change that core reality, um, the macro markets going back, that, that core reality that um, we need to have clear guardrails uh, and some changing in tone and tenor um, before we have any comeback um, for, uh, for, for crypto as an asset class. Now, I, I think uh, the whole four-year cycle of crypto is is you know, somewhat overdone. I think you know it's a small sample size, and it happens to have been the case historically. But uh, that's not a foregone conclusion. Um, we just, I think, happen to be you know again at the hopefully the nadir for sentiments, and um, and we will start seeing some some wins internationally. Um, yeah, maybe it's not in the US, but but at least internationally. And, and, and ultimately, I think that international adoption and some of the innovation that's happening offshore is going to have a far greater impact than anything like a, an ETF approval. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, I still think that we're looking at you know sometime in 2024 before there's any approvals for, for crypto ETFs, Bitcoin ETFs, um, simply because I don't see a changing in sentiments or approach to um to what has has been you know an uncooperative and and um and ultimately politically guided sec uh that is that doesn't really have a good reason to um to, to reject some of these institutional products so it's a tale of two it's a tale of two cryptos right now there's the us and then there's kind of everywhere else and before you go to scott, uh, scott before you go i want to go also to, to frame i've had a glitch i only saw frame on stage now Frame, just adding to Ryan's final thoughts, also the PPI data today and, and kind of linking crypto to the macro story as well. We'd love to get your thoughts, what you expect over the next six or 12 months, and then we'll uh, wrap it. Cool. I agree. Anyway, he's, probably, he's probably with Lloyd. I, I think he's, he's got a really good points. Him and Lloyd had the best points of the day, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott? No, I, I, mean, I, on me as well? I, I effectively agree with uh, every, everything that we that we heard here. I think it's a, a unfortunate situation in the United Especially States. Especially with right Fiji. Now. I think you agree mostly with Fijian freaks. I, I'm afraid that if I don't, then I'm just not going to be considered a serious or intelligent person. Um, but uh, but I do have to say that being in Singapore once again, and this is not the first time, but but being here once again after being inundated with conversation about regulation and all the negatives in the United States, 
and then simply leaving the country and being in a different environment where, you know, this conference is two to three times bigger than it was last year. And it seems like there is absolutely no bear market. I think that the, unfortunately, the real story may be that uh, the United States just gets left behind uh, and that there could be uh, another bull market without the United States, without us getting to participate in the same way that we could in the past. Maybe that's an optimistic view, but I can tell you that once again, here, nobody's worried about any of it. Uh, you know, listen, I did uh, 23 interviews in the last two days um, and we weren't talking about regulation and Gary Gensler and the SEC and legislation in any of them. Right. And that would have been the topic of every single conversation had I had the same, almost even the same guest stateside. The vibe is very, very different. And so I'm bullish that it can happen at least to some degree, maybe not on the same scale. But uh, it's just unfortunate to be a United States citizen and maybe be watching it from the sidelines. Uh, have you been to events uh, in the U.S. or in Europe in the last uh, uh, in the last few months? I was at. I mean, I said as I mentioned before, I was at Consensus this summer in in Austin. Uh, I've heard a similar sort of vibe from Permissionless. I heard the content was great. It was um, really well thought out, but that the vibe was dampened, which I think naturally. And most people were worried about crackdowns in the United States and the booths were kind of empty and it was exponentially smaller than the last one. And that's happening literally. And, and I love those guys, by the way, for, from, from Blockworks, they're old friends, but that's happening concurrently to here. And half the people here chose to fly across the world to go to token 2049 instead of going a few hours to Austin, Texas. Darn. Yeah, I wanted to ask Scott, uh, recently at an interview with Caitlin Long, where you're talking about um, the insider in Washington, I was wondering if off the air she told you who that, that person was that was kind of rejecting the applications for the Fed window and, and other, other places. If there's anywhere we can kind of look to know who that person is. Not, not specifically, um, because I think actually she can't. There's uh, litigation, and I think some of it are now emails that are going to be part of the, the litigation. But she made it very, very clear that the directives come straight from the White House, but from an Elizabeth Warren staffer in yes. the White House. Well, I, you know, there there is a little bit of good news here because um, I'm going to butcher uh, his last name uh, potentially, but it's uh, Barat Rama Murdi. Um, who was a NEC staffer on the, on the Economic Council uh, within the White House, is a, a former Warren staffer. And, and he has been one of the most damaging behind the scenes people in D.C. Um, he actually resigned um, last week. It was in the news. I, I tweeted about this. So um, fingers crossed that, you know, there's another, you know, uh, a little bit of an internal changing of the guard and, and maybe a, a softening going into a midterm cycle where, uh, or sorry, uh, a, a major election where you know, maybe this won't swing presidential politics, but but crypto absolutely will have an impact on a couple of key Senate races potentially uh, as we get closer, and, and that could swing the Senate between John Tester, um, Sherrod Brown, uh, and and others who have been uh, obstinate and and you know obstructionist in terms of getting any clear legislation passed um, and are generally aligned with Warren. So um, I think you, you might see some softening there. But that that one staffer, in particular, I don't know if it's the same staffer that impacted Caitlin, but um, right. But Barat is out, uh, and that is a good thing for the industry, provided you know he isn't just instantly replaced by uh, a junior. 
And Ryan, I was speaking to Hasib Qureshi yesterday, actually, in person out here, and, and he also kind of laughed at the four-year cycle and said it's astrology. But if you do buy into the four-year cycle or believe in it at all, Caitlin, in that very same interview that I had with her recently, pointed out the fact that if we see the same sort of post-having price action, it would be effectively two to three months leading into the presidential election. You could potentially have Bitcoin starting to ramp up and become a much uh, more important issue in that election and in those Senate races. If we do see, you know, sort of that same uh, 2024 as 2020, you know, ramp up. If Brian was here, it, be, this is, it just came out now and nine minutes ago. It's a, a breaking story, news-based story, is that uh, Biden will be giving a speech today. Let me see exactly when. And unrelated to crypto, but at least worth mentioning. He's planning to give a speech today at... Um, yeah, I think he's, he's planning to do a speech on, on September 27th. My bad. Yeah, I think it's about I thought, how, how yeah, to make thought, news to every morning. I mis no, no, I misunderstood. I thought the speech was today about a threat in the coming weeks. Turns out to be a, a speech in the next coming weeks about a threat. So I misunderstood the title. All right, cool. Anyway, on that point, I think it's a good space. Uh, Scott, when you when are you leaving Singapore? Tomorrow or weekend? Uh, I'm leaving on Sunday. Uh, because the other the other quiet reason that so many people flew to Singapore for a crypto conference, obviously, is that the Singapore Grand Prix is this weekend uh, okay. in F1. And you can see it out the window from where the conference is. Cool. All right. Well, great job for Ryan co-hosting. And uh, it was great takes from, um, uh, from uh, what was the speaker? The uh, NFT lawyer, lawyer, great yeah. takes. Yeah, Ryan, Mario, thanks for co-hosting. you, but, uh, you know, for your co-hosts. Uh, I was at the, a party at Marquee here in Singapore for, for OKX right before Twitter Spaces. Uh, Vitalik was there. I should have asked him about the, 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 the scared cats. But uh, I was on my way out and Rand was on his way in. You know. Yeah, I saw that in the group. <laughs> I was not surprised. I'm not going to comment beyond that. But, uh, you know, I, I was on my way back to the hotel to, to finish up a newsletter and get on spaces. And, you know, he was on his way into the club. All right, cool. I'll let you guys have a chat. Thanks, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you.